Welcome to another edition of The List, the Right Fiction Podcast. We've got a wonderful show for you all today about our favorite cover slash tribute albums. Before we get started, if you love the pod, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your listening app. It helps us reach new listeners like you. Also, be sure to check out our companion Spotify playlist with all our picks that we mention in the pod. The link is in the show details. Now, let's get to it. Tribute or cover albums occupy an interesting place in the world of music. The artists making the albums aren't necessarily creating new works of art. They are interpreting the creations of other artists. As an interpretation of someone else's work, what is the value that we place on this? Does it hold up to the praise or or disparagement of the original work? Does it need to? Or shall we judge it on its own merits without considering the original? Well, I don't have the answers to these questions. But on today's show, we're going to explore various perspectives on this topic of favorite tribute or cover albums to see where its true value lies. And to help us out on this topic, today we've brought in a true expert when it comes to examining perception and perspectives. Ed Tedimer is here to give us his tribute slash cover album takes. Ed, welcome. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. I just want to give everybody a little bit of background on Ed. So Ed is a a writer, brand planner, and creative connector with a passion for helping folks connect dots they didn't know they could be connected. He's the founding partner of the successful advertising agency Red Tedimer, which he established in 1992 and left for higher callings in 2006. Uh, In Ed's work, he has launched television networks, breakfast sandwiches, shopping malls, travel blogs, arts festivals, and a revitalized creative movement within the Philadelphia advertising community. And of course, he is a supreme lover of music and has, and has been involved with music for a long time as musician, jingle writer, and music supervisor. Again, Ed, welcome. We are so honored to have you, sir. The well, honor is mine, I'm uh, certain. Yeah, and I, I know Ed's a, a super-duper music head because I, uh, I remember we went to... Um, we saw the uh, was it uh, uh, the Miles Davis album together, right? Correct. At the World Cafe, which which almost in a silent way, right? In a silent way, fifty year tribute. Yeah, that it was, was a very great awesome. cover band. It was very awesome what they did, and he knows the record inside out. And once once I once I heard him that, that he knew that record, I was like, okay, this guy knows the music <laughs> stuff here. So we can we we can we can we need to have him on the pod. That was a night so, to laugh about. That was a night to laugh about. Yeah, man, they were killer. Um, all right, but on, on with the show though, and um, so I'm gonna go first today with my picks. And so, my number three favorite cover slash tribute album is Love, Devotion, Surrender 1973, Carlos Santana and John McLaughlin. And this album is uh, basically a tribute to John Coltrane. And um, there are, I believe, two cover, um, two um, uh, original songs on this on this album, but the essence of this album is dedicated to kind of John Coltrane's spiritual, um, you know, journey 
and um you know it's signify you know it's a uh, the key tracks here for me are love supreme and and especially naima and uh it, it, their interplay on the guitar work is is stellar and so that's why it's my number three pick and so with that i'm going to kick it to you ed what is your number three favorite cover slash tribute album sir well, if I may, uh, I just want to give you a sense of the criteria I use. <laughs> and sure. I separate, I, I've discovered that there are three types of records that I listen to. One is the re- record that um, sends me into rapture and uh, that I think is almost a religious experience that I'll just sit and be um, become becalmed by the music and I'll just be sucked in and nothing else will exist. The second category is, is the record that just makes me laugh. Uh, and and I just listen to with joy, and I may want to dance, but I'm it just makes me want to laugh all the time I'm listening. And the third record is the, the is the record that scares the shit out of me. And uh, <laughs> and so my third my third uh, pick, this number three pick that you're suggesting I talk about, it it came in almost as a tie. There was a record by Hal Wilner, uh, the producer who's has produced a series of cover records, and the one that really scared the hell out of me the first time I heard it was um, uh, is Weird Nightmares and it's uh, Meditations on Charles Mingus. And that starts with a scary, scary thing. But it led me then to rethink a record that um, I almost forgot about, which I now embrace with great joy, but it also scared me. And that was a record called The Langley Schools Music Project, uh, which is a recording of elementary school choirs singing pop songs from the 70s. It was recorded in 1976 in uh, British Columbia by a strange record, uh, by a strange music teacher uh, who led his uh, elementary school choirs in songs by uh, David Bowie and Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney. Uh, And it's an album called Innocence and Despair uh, and it first really scared me and freaked me out. It's so haunting and so gorgeous in its innocence. But the children sing with such, uh, I don't know, poignancy and such despair that it's really kind of um, terrifying. Uh, uh, but it's absolutely gorgeous. And I recommend uh, we all discover it. Yes. And, and when I was listening to that record, um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's all the songs that I love and it's done by these kids. And uh, it, it was really, uh, it was really interesting experience. It didn't scare me per se. I feel like I could, I could take them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it was very, it was very good. It's very good. And so with that, I'm going to kick it to you, Adam. What is your number three pick, sir? All right. At number three, I am going with, uh, from the magical year of 1981, it's uh, Almost Blue uh, by Elvis Costello and the Attractions, mm-hmm. a um, a uh, uh, bunch of country covers actually produced by the uh, the great Billy Sherrill. You know, I mean, he he's produced, you know, nine or ten bajillion, you know, country things. Uh, but uh, I, I, li- I like this one um, in that it's, uh, this was kind of the beginning of Elvis Costello's uh, genre wandering because really when he when he when he put this out he he was you know the angry young man doing the angry new wave stuff and then he puts this out and really it, it hindsight has really treated this album better than at, at the time everyone's like well, what is this what are you doing and and now people are like oh it's actually you know it's actually quite you know because and especially now seeing all the, the genre bending he's done since then so I thought well, 
this definitely needs a nod. Uh, so I almost blew it, number three. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting album. Uh, not a huge Elvis Costello fan, but it has a connection with uh, uh, with uh, with your album, Ed, uh, with the, uh, was it the Weird Nightmares? Right. Uh, where he sings Weird Nightmares. I actually really love that that cover version of that song. That was like way left field for me. And it was very, very cool. Um, but, um, and Adam, I'd like to, like you to tell me more about Elvis Costello a little bit later and kind of uh, help me like him. Gladly. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not uh, a magician. <laughs> sure you are. Freddie, what's your number, what's your number three pick, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick, just to backtrack, there's a really cool documentary about the making of that album with Billy Sherrill and uh, uh, oh. Elvis. Billy Sherrill, the father of Countrypolitan music. Uh, yeah, my number three album is Paul McCartney's Back in USSR. I believe that's what the title translates to. And uh, just Paul McCartney playing the rock and roll songs that he came up on. Uh, I actually have like two copies of this somewhere on vinyl. And it came in a very flimsy album jacket. And it's all written in Russian, so that's why it's uh, it's hard to tell what the actual title. It looks like Jobo B C C C P, but it's back in the USSR. My number three album, Paul McCartney, nineteen eighty eight, back in the USSR. Nice, interesting. I got some. I got some stuff for you on that one, Freddie. I'll bet um, you do. Brandon, what is your number three pick, sir? Okay, gentlemen, I'm going back to 1969 and bringing some tropical sounds to our pod today. I went with Sergio Mendes and Brazil 66, the album Ye Mele. I think, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. My, my Portuguese is atrocious, of course. And I think Sergio Mendes is a great artist, and I don't think he's ever overtly gone after making a cover album or a tribute album he just tends to make albums of other people's music for the most part and so i think yamele is a great example of that sort of crossover north south merging of like amazing samba bossa nova feel over a lot of american pop tunes and some of the highlights you've got a version of monin you've got a version of norwegian wood and for me one of my life goals and missions is to discover every single version of Wichita Lineman. And this is on that record. Yes. So, wow. <laughs> yes. I think it's a cool version. That was wow. delightful. It was delightful. Absolutely. That's my number three. Absolutely. Um, cool, 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 cool. So uh, I'm going to go next. This is, uh, uh, you know what? I forgot to introduce the guys. Um, so real quick, that's uh, Freddie Berman. That's Brendan McGeehan. Hello. That's Adam Zolinski and me, Aaron Brown. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I'm going to give you my number two pick right now. And my number two pick is, um, an album by George Benson. It's called the other side of Abbey road, uh, released in 1970. And, uh, this song is, I'm not a huge fan of George Benson. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that some of his stuff can just be like, blah, but when he does this record, um, you know, it sounds awesome. The strings. The, his voice on it, the guitar playing, and he has some heavy hitters on this on this album with Bob James, Ron Carter, uh, Ernie Hayes, uh, you know, Ed Shaughnessy, um, just you know, a whole bunch of wonderful, wonderful players on this record. And, you know, I recommend everyone listen to this. If you like the Beatles, 
and you like good music, this is the record for you. And uh, with that, I'm going to kick it to you, Ed. What's your number two favorite cover album slash tribute album? This this is a record that makes me laugh, and it made me just hysterical the first time I heard it because I was, I was so filled with joy. And it's um, uh, Angelique Kidjo, uh, the great uh, Congolese singer, I believe, uh, from Africa. And she has covered the Talking Heads' Remain in Light. Uh, this She did this record in... 2018, I think it was introduced as a live at uh, Carnegie Hall. She did a show where she covered the entire uh, Talking Heads record in 2017 and uh, recorded the record in 2018. And it's uh, brief. It's 35, 36 minutes um, as the original record was brief. Uh, the original record was really as much Brian Eno as it was uh, David Byrne. Uh, and uh, but it was at that time, uh, 50 or 40 years ago, a tribute as much to Fela Kuti as, as to anything else. And uh, Angelique Cujo takes the record Remain in Light and brings it back to its African influences by completely reinterpreting it uh, the way it was uh, inspired. And it's brilliant. It, it, uh, she just reclaims it uh, and owns it. Um, and so it's not so much as a cover as much as it is a reclaiming. Uh, it's just a great, great, joyful record produced by um, her uh, keyboard player, a guy named Jeff Basker, who also produces uh, contemporary Lady Gaga and people like that. So really interesting. She just steals it back for the continent, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the, what what I got from that is it's very kind of immersive that, you know, you just kind of fall into the into that world and I don't even think about the first record, but um, right. Uh, with that, Adam, what's your number two favorite? Okay, cover John. slash tribute album, sir. You really stretch out that 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 phrase there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm jumping on you. All right, um, yeah, number two, <laughs> I <laughs> jump. <laughs> favorite cover <laughs> album. <laughs> okay. Anywho, uh, I jumped to the uh, magical year of 2019. I, I put it wrong on the dock. Sorry, guys. Uh, with uh, with my, you know, my some of my underlooked favorite artists, The Bird and the Bee, uh, yeah, reimagining, interpreting the Masters Volume 2, uh, tribute to Van Halen. Uh, the first one they did was Hollow Notes, which was great. And this one's just more recent, so I wanted to talk about this one. Um, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, The Bird and the Bee is Inara George from the uh, late great uh, Lowell George and Greg Kirsten. Who's you know he's he's everywhere he's everything he co-wrote you know hello with Adele he's he you know they do this for fun and this this album is all fun I mean it's a it's a Van Halen tribute without guitar and and I just uh, you know I think they always are creative with their arrangements they're always a lot of fun and hearing eruption on piano was like the coolest thing ever so uh, uh, Van Halen tribute number two yeah man this album was really great really really fan. Fantastic, and uh, I'm glad you put it on there. Hey, uh, Freddie, what is your number two <laughs> favorite? Uh, yeah, cover two, album. Number two, number two. David Bowie's 1973 release, Pinups, which he recorded on the heels of breaking up the Ziggy Stardust image slash persona band. 
And uh, right before he was set to do his next record, he decided to do this. It's all covers by the Kinks, the McCoys, Pink Floyd, just Bowie having fun. And, uh, you know, he, he, he got slagged. There were some unfavorable reviews because at the time he had like five albums in the charts and people were like, what is he doing? Why, why is he doing this? You know what yeah. I mean? And, and the, uh, the covers were thought to be inferior to the original, which most times they are. And, uh, you know, it's Bowie being Bowie. Number two, David Bowie, pinups. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's Mr. Original Guy, so that, I'm sure that came from, uh, yeah, came out of left field left for a field. lot of audiences. Yeah. Yep. Um, Brendan, what is your number two favorite cover slash tribute album? My number two favorite <laughs> covers. Sports. <laughs> so I went with this record that came out in 1999, and it came out on the house of blues label which as far as i can tell was very short-lived and it was a series that they did called this ain't no tribute and i know they did one for led zeppelin and this one that's my number two is called tangled up in blues which is of course a tribute to bob dylan but according to the house of blues this ain't no tribute i think this is really well done it's a compilation of a lot of different artists doing dylan tunes and of course, we know that Dylan's voice can be a bit polarizing. So if you remove his voice and leave the songs, you've got some real some real magic that you're working with. Some of the highlights for me, you've got Isaac Hayes doing Lay Lady Lay, doing his full-on oh, yeah. sexiness all over that tune. You've got nice. the Mavis Staples doing Gotta Serve Somebody, not to be confused with a gospel record of Bob Dylan tunes, which is also a great record that almost made my list, but not here. Then you got Leon Russell doing Watching the River Flow. And then also, which I think is quite amazing, Larry McRae doing All on the Watchtower, another version of Watchtower that is very much electric guitar based, but not ripping off Hendrix. It's a great version that is just like drenched in blues. So I recommend that one. And that's why it's my number two. Yeah, this is a cool album. And where was, were, were these tracks recorded like all over the place or was it... Uh... Do you know? Do you know anything about that? I don't know. I mean, I, just based on the era, I know that that was kind of a big thing to do in the '90s and early aughts, where mm. they would record them at all different studios. Kind of just the the label would kind of facilitate doing that. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool record. Very cool record. Um, so back up to me. So my number one favorite cover slash tribute album is an album by um, Harry Nielsen. Um, released in 1970, it's called Nielsen Sings Newman, and this is my favorite um, for a personal reason. Um, I was asked to do a, a Nielsen tribute at Fergie's in Philadelphia, and um, at the time, I didn't know anything about Nielsen, and, and anything I heard from Nielsen, I hated. So I was like searching and searching and searching for something I would like, and I came across this, and I was like, well, I don't like Newman either, so like, man, how, how am I going to like this? But I came across this album and the two songs specifically that really just hit me hard were I'll Be Home and Caroline. And those two songs just make this record and um, Nielsen songs just such a joy for me to listen to. And this album, the way it's recorded and just the way Harry does it is just special. So that's why it's my number one. And with that, 
I'm going to go to you, Ed. What's your number one favorite cover? Uh, this is out. the record that puts me into the rapture uh, whenever I listen to it. And it's one of the Desert Island discs, I guess, I would have with me. Um, and it's from uh, a most unlikely source, Jennifer Warnes, who was a, you know, kind of a Linda Ronstadt wannabe in the 70s, uh, a gentle pop voice who also sang back up with the great Leonard Cohen. Uh, in the early 70s, and then in 1987 released a record of Leonard Cohen songs. And some, uh, and it's called Famous Blue Raincoat. And, you know, sometimes you do a cover record as because you want to pay tribute to the artist or, or uh, you want to collect a bunch of artists and do uh, riff on Dylan songs uh, or, or whatever. This is one of those records that uh, Jennifer Warnes, with the help of uh, Roscoe Beck, the producer and music director from Leonard Cohen's band, she just takes these songs and owns them. And uh, they're completely hers. Uh, and once you've heard her interpretations of these songs, you don't want to go back. Uh, you don't want to go forward. You want to stay right there with her. They, they're really, uh, and it's one of the most gorgeously, sonically perfect records uh, of the last half of the 20th century. Um, it's worth getting the vinyl, uh, and it's something to own and listen to all your life. But it will put you in the rapture once you sit down and listen to it. No one will be able to see you there because the rapture will have taken you. <laughs> That's a great That's pick, good. sir. The chair will be empty. I'm in. <laughs> cool. That's a great pick, sir. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll confess, uh, I knew this circuit a tiny bit, but not much. And um, I really couldn't place Jennifer uh, Warren's in my head. Right? Like, I was like, I, I right? don't, I recognize right? this name. She but, did. She uh, had like a big hit with Joe Cocker on the uh, theme song for an officer and a gentleman. Right? Love you. When you hear her doing so, that, so or where we belong, exactly. And then suddenly, this record opens up with Stevie Just Ray Vaughan stinging guitar work on, uh, and she says, first we'll take Manhattan, and then we're coming for Berlin." And, and, and uh, if, she scares the hell out of you after making you laugh. And yeah, then and, and in this the record is. This record is so deep, um, but just just also to give the listeners the kind of place to place her voice in their heads, um, she's also the person that sang, I had the time of my life. Anyway, so just to give a little context for our <laughs> listeners. And um, Adam, we're going to you, man. What's your number one favorite cover slash tribute album, sir? All right, well, we've hit that um that 10 podcast cycle where I have to add another Willie Nelson album. So by, <laughs> by, by podcast number 2,110, I'll have all of his albums in. And I went, I went with uh, recorded in 75, but not released till 77 uh, to lefty from Willie. It's um, a collection of uh, lefty Frizzell covers uh, sung by Willie, I guess. I don't know. I mean, this is coming on the heels of, what I consider his best three album run of a uh, shotgun, Willie redheaded stranger and phages and stages. And maybe he's just like, you know, much like, like Bowie or like Elvis Costello. He was like, why are you doing a cover album? And eventually they put it out. And I, I mean, I think he just, um, Willie's voice, uh, lends to uh, lefty songs so well. I mean, it's, uh, it's just, this is an, it's a nice laid back, calm, you know, album of fifties hits. And uh, I really think this album, more or less maybe kind of laid the groundwork for what became one of his greatest works uh, the next, the following year in 78 of uh, Stardust, which is a whole bunch of covers as well. But I, I wanted to give this uh, lefty one a nice little nod 
at my number one. Very nice album, sir. Very nice album. Freddie, what is your number one favorite cover album slash tribute album? Yeah, my number one. Oh, what a concept. Uh, (laughs) It's the Ryan Adams album. Ryan Adams covering Taylor Swift album, 1989. And I just found the whole concept of this just kind of mind-boggling. And uh, apparently, Taylor Swift loved the concept. And according to Ryan Adams, he kind of wound up, he was going for some somewhere between Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town and the Smith's Meat is Murder. And I think he <laughs> achieved that. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, just the concept, man, of Ryan Adams covering a Taylor Swift album, song for song, in the order, same title, everything. It just blew my mind. So that's my number one pick. That has to be the closest gap. I mean, like, between, like, I mean, you know, we're talking some, you know, doing full tributes, and this one is, like, on the heels. Like, what, was it, like, a year or two later? It was, like. Like that's yeah. just, that's yeah. very Real unique, quick, wasn't it? That's very unique. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That that bad blood version is killer. Um, yeah. But um, we're going to end with you, Brandon. What is your number one favorite cover slash tribute album, sir? Yes. Happy to pull up the rear here, and this is last but certainly not least on my number one. I went with a record that came out in two thousand nine by one of my favorite groups, The Bad Plus. And it is For All I Care. And this is the first record that they did with a singer. And the singer was not a jazz vocalist whatsoever, even though the Bad Plus tends to get lumped into the jazz genre for reasons I can understand, though also reasons that I have fought ever since I've become a fan of theirs. I don't think they're really firmly planted in that world. So they decided to bring in a singer who has more of an indie rock background. And they do these incredible reinterpretations and deconstructions of songs that we all know and love. That that technique and that um, presenting of covers has always been part of their careers. But this album is all covers. And the range of covers on it is so incredibly impressive. You've got Nirvana, Pink Floyd, Yes. You've got the Bee Gees, the Flaming Lips. And then for good measure, uh, the atonal 20th century composer Milton Babbitt is is covered on there. It's just so ambitious, so incredible. I think they pull off their arrangements in a beautiful way. And sonically, also, it sounds great, mixed by Chad Blake, who they've worked with for many records. So it's um it's a real win all across the board. I love this record for all I care, number one. Chad with a T, yes. right? That's Chad right. with a T. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ch-ching. Uh, <laughs> Ch-ching. I, I love hearing uh, the props for the for the mixer. Well, but, you know, look at that for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who mastered it? That's what I want to know. Yeah, this is a wonderful album, and you could tell they are they're killer players because uh, they you'd have to be to kind of pull off this uh, kind of ambitious, uh, you know, undertaking. Uh, but great record, great record. And with that, we're going to take a short break and be back with a little more discussion. Hold on.
and we are back. And so when thinking about this topic, um, you know, I go back to my, my, my number one pick and, and how I, you know, I didn't like um, either Harry Nielsen or, or, or Newman when I first saw this record. And, and that kind of makes me think about, um, you know, when I'm looking at our full list here, um, Brendan, um, are there any like albums here or in your list that maybe you didn't like some of the underlying material or like you think, um, or what did the, what guess, what did the cover version add or subtract to the original work in your, in your opinion? Yeah, it's a good question. The first two thoughts, the first two records that come to mind are on either side of the spectrum. I think for one of your picks, the George Benson, Abbey Road, like, man, some of those arrangements, maybe this is blasphemy, but I kind of like a little better in some ways. Like there's some really beautiful stuff happening on that record. And just so it was so refreshing to hear that. And like Abbey Road is not a record that I spin normally, but just to hear the reimagining of it that way was super cool. And then the other one, Freddie's number one, 1989, it was just, you know, it, it definitely put Taylor Swift in another arena without her real consent or, or wanting to be, you had all of a sudden all these like alt indie rockers paying attention to Taylor Swift songs because Ryan Adams is doing them. And so I think it almost like more legitimized her from being this like sugary pop star to someone who writes really good songs. Um, I, I agree with that, except for, um, um, I, w- I do want to say, and it's something I'm kind of conscious of is maybe she didn't need to be kind of, uh, you know, pumped up in that, in that way, um, by, by a man in that way. Right. Um, uh, and that's something that I think we all should be mindful of and not that you're not mindful of. I'm just saying like, in terms of thinking about women and men and how we relate to each other and stuff. Um, so I just wanted to make that clear for all our listeners out there in the world. Um, but on another note, um, I actually want to go to you, Ed. I want to pose that same question to you. Um, you know, the songs like like the, the albums that you picked, um, do you think they, you know, enhance the original work or subtract from it or both? Or is it something completely different? Or what do you think? I, I think there's different motivations for doing this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, Angelique Kijo is saying, I'm going to reclaim this Talking Heads music uh, uh, for Fela Kuti. You know, I'm going to take it back to where it came from and um, maybe I'll own it for a little while. But I think what she was doing was really a generous act by taking by stealing that music from Talking Heads and then giving it back to the world, perhaps in. Uh, in the you know in 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 the clothing it was originally born wearing, if you if, if you know what I mean. Um, then then those those children singing on innocence and despair, the Langley Schools Music Project. You know, there's an eight year old singing Desperado, uh, and the melancholy and the wisdom in this young girl's voice, uh, who sings that song in a, in a school auditorium. I don't know. It's just uh, it just makes me cry, and but it also introduced me to songs from that era that I didn't even know I knew about. There's something about uh, calling occupants of interplanetary craft, which ends that record, um, which I didn't really know about. And there was a band called Klaatu in the early '70s, oh, yeah. a Canadian band, who did this song, and then the Carpenters, of all things, made a hit out of it. 
Uh, and it's a strange song. It's very Bowie-esque, you know. It sounds like Bowie in his uh, uh, Major Tom days or Ziggy Stardust. Um, and it just teaches me stuff. Uh, every time I hear it, I learn something new about the era and about the artists that I might have dismissed. Like, I might have dismissed uh, the sugary pop Taylor Swift. And maybe right. Ryan Adams gives me a shot at giving her another look. Uh, and maybe right. that's not fair and it might be, uh, you know, uncool, but that's truth. So art, sure. uh, art can teach us something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and actually, um, I want to say, I want to go to you, Adam, next. And, um, you know, I want to say first, though, that so one of the albums that uh, really I thought enhanced um, or the albums, uh, uh, the, the, the Burden of the Bee, when they did the Van Halen record, I am not a fan of uh, Van Halen. What? Let me rephrase that. I think Van Halen are a bunch of nice guys. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, but this album was stupendous. And one of the things, um, one one of the songs specifically, uh, what is it? He, t- uh, oh man, he touched me or not? No, he touched me. Um, <laughs> what was that song? <laughs> One of the songs, like, uh, they come in with this, like, piano jazz interlude. And I heard the original. I was like, this don't sound like that. Um, it is wonderful, man. Um, and so what do, you, what do you have to kind of say about that, Adam? I just, I say, I like the bird and the bee. They're fun. It's a fun project that they do. And I think, uh, I don't I, I hear I hear a lot of that um, similar complaint for people that don't like Van Halen, Aaron, and that it's just like, it's, I mean, if you like guitars, you know, and you like, you know, spandex and big kicks and stuff and and uh, you know just hard rock <laughs> you know you like but I, I mean i like van halen and so i mean but i like both but i can see like how burden the bee you know it, it was kind of a bridge to to that to that music which is uh which i you know there's other people in that that camp Aaron, um for that and it's um i don't know it was just kind of an understated release so that's why i kind of wanted to bring it up i wanted to uh digress just real quick just because with the um, Ed with the, talking about the uh, the taking back remain in light, I don't know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on on this because I technically wasn't alive when this was happening, but I uh, they uh, Burn and Eno at the same time were were making a, another album, uh, an ambient album called My Life in the Bush with Ghosts, which I think kind of got raked over the coals for appropriation a little more uh, than than Remain in Light really did. Is is that is that, is that correct? Yeah, I don't remember anybody raking uh, them over the coals over Remain in Light, you know. And I don't think Angelique uh, Kijo was um, trying to cast aspersions by reclaiming it. But I think what she did was say, these polyrhythms are from Fela Kuti, and these are Angolese rhythms, and these are African songs uh, or African uh, origins. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show you what it, what it, where it came from. Right. That was a really cool album. I really, I, yeah, I enjoyed listening to that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a very uh, interesting and immersive um, album. And um, and so, like uh, Ed, I'll, I'll go to you next. Um, in talking about uh, famous blue raincoat and Jennifer Warrens, uh, and so she was, you know, uh, singing backup for Leonard Cohen for a while. And um, Leonard Cohen is known for. Um, you know, his songwriting and, his, you know, his deep lyrics and that sort of thing. And, um, and Jennifer Warren's her fate, her, her top songs are like, you know, up where we belong. Yeah. And, um, I've had the time of my life. Um, 
did you do you think kind of her doing this kind of version of of a Leonard Cohen song was kind of giving um creating more giving her more weight um in terms of her artistic output um what, what do you kind of think was this kind of that step or, or what well you know let me just refer back to the comment about Taylor Swift having to maybe get some cred because Ryan Adams you know made a rock and roll record out of her uh, sugar pop uh, image. You know, Jennifer Warren's is a great artist, a great, great singer, but she was doing pop music because that's what she was allowed to do. Leonard Mm -hmm. Cohen knew her. They were pals. Uh, She worked for him and sang for him. And she, and he knew her as the artist that she could have been. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think he is, he was so generous this was an act of generosity to give her permission to make this record and support her and actually appear on the record and really right. give her Roscoe who produced it and recorded it and give her the, and gave her the permission to become the artist she should have been. You know, I think sure. that's uh, this is an artist in full bloom when you hear that record. Right. And, and I will say uh, as, as the singer guy, um leonard cohen is a great songwriter but his voice is like uh is an his voice is a nice guy um so but when i heard her sing his songs i was like ah this is lovely well his is his is the voice of wisdom and she's she's absolutely gorgeous she's really you know she does for him what uh i think i i go back to ella fitzgerald's great american songbooks and the cover records she made with nelson riddle and made them with you know, the Gershwin songs and Cole Porter and her song or her voice is like a bell, you know, and I think Jennifer Warren's had that in her generation. And unfortunately, she was making sugar pop records instead of great jazz records. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and going back to um, the concept of, you know, uh, someone that has a nicer voice or a nicer presentation um, kind of shining the light on right. other artists. Right. You know, I go back to my album, uh uh Nielsen sings Newman and uh really his voice kind of led me to appreciate Newman um because mm-hmm. again N- Newman is a very nice guy in terms of voices and Newman plays um, piano at, on it yeah he does play piano uh which is great which is the perfect what thing he should be doing um always and uh having Harry Nielsen sing on, on top is, is that's wonderful. part of Newman's generosity right let me yes. let me let me help you do this right and not sing at the same time. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, but Freddie, I got to go to you, buddy. Yeah, man. I got to go to you. Go to me. Yeah. What's up with this Paul McCartney album, man? Uh, you know, look, <laughs> it was like, let's go in the studio live and play some songs that I grew up on. It's like his tribute to rock and roll. You know, I mean, it's pretty, I think it's pretty easy to understand what was going on there. He was tired of living in the studio and meticulously recording each track and, you know, which is what, you know, making records had come to by that time. And he was said, you know, the hell with that. Let's just rock. I'm going to pay tribute to the music that I grew up, grew up on. Was this a, was this a really, uh, I guess, popular album when it came out or not at all? (laughs) Yeah, it's like a cult record. Yeah. It, was it an a, was it an answer to John Lennon's record called oh, Rock and Roll? Was, 
Ah, uh, yeah, you, you got you beat me to it, Ed. You beat me to it. Yeah, it's like a decade after and that. That rock and roll. I don't think that went over well either, did it? No. Uh, nope. Yeah, yeah, because they're both terrible. <laughs> anyway. Well, that's just like <laughs> your opinion, man. It is. It is. It's my opinion. It's my opinion. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Too I hot. Wanna, too I want to mention one other thing uh, concerning the Angelique Kidjo uh, talking heads thing. Uh, there is a man. Once in a while, there is a man, <laughs> and his name was William Onyebor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Look him up. He's uh, from Nigeria. Big influence on David Byrne. Didn't he do a little psychedelia? Was, was, he, was kind of... he, he did a lot of things with, with synthesizers. A lot of things with keyboards. Uh huh. Just look him up. Yeah. Great story. Atomic bomb. Yeah. That was his big, big thing. I love that. Right. Didn't so Byrne didn't he re-release that record or something on his Luaka Bop or? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, and I, 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 I'm sorry, Freddie. I just want to go back to the Paul McCartney thing just one more time. Just to say, just to say that, um, like this album and, and even John Lennon's cover album, um, you know, the reason why, you know, a lot of people uh, are drawn to them, I think, is they're just such creative human beings um, from their songwriting, from their recording techniques um from just their presentation of everything and then so when these i understand the the impetus for them to be like i don't want to do any of that i just want to be a dude with a guitar that rocks um but um what made them so special for me and a lot of people i think were that they um you know were so creative so when i hear this i just can't i can't jump into it and then maybe it's my uh just my orientation to them right um but um because i understand the, that I understand that, and I think that what they were doing was a total opposite reaction to being Beatle Paul or Beatle John, because when you're put in that box at such a young age, you get tired of being in that box, and all they wanted to do was probably just pay tribute to the music that actually enabled them to become the thing that you liked about them. And it was an act of giving back a little bit too. I mean, those, I think so. those, those songwriters were able to get a little cash, right? Right. That's Thanks to this, true. like awesome. definitely true. Um, what, Brendan? Oh, sorry. I thought Brendan had. Well, actually, I was going to go back to you, Freddie, real quick. Um, so um, that same concept goes to your number two pick, Pinups, right? Um, where David Bowie is kind of doing that um but he's kind of i i really enjoyed this record but because it sounded to me like david bowie though it sounds to me like david right. bowie is still kind of pushing pushing david bowie even though they were cover songs i was like i didn't feel like oh this is a this is just like an exercise in breaking you know taking off jackets or whatnot you know what right. i mean this right. was i felt like he was kind of going for it um uh what do, what do you i mean do you think he was still going for it at this point in time or I think that, first of all, nothing with David Bowie was or could ever be that transparent that you know exactly what he was thinking. Mm. So with that in mind, I have no idea. He could have been just doing this to piss his label off. 
Who knows? Or his band. Or his band, oh, right? Yeah, or, or the, <laughs> the uh, Spiders. Although some of them are on the record. Maybe he was between bands and he still had a record contract and, and had to deliver. Possible too, yeah. Sometimes you just want to sing and not write. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah, a couple of the guys from that, that album. Yeah. Are, hey, Brandon. Spiders. Brandon, I want to go to you, man. Um, yo, man, that uh, that 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 version of um, Wichita Lyman on uh, Sergio Mendez is fantastic. Tell me a little bit more about it, this album, man. Yeah, it's it's great. You know, I have had the great fortune of working with some really amazing Brazilian musicians who turned me on to Sergio Mendez. Without them, I probably wouldn't have listened to him in in the big way that I do now. And so. I'm just it to me. It just sounds so 1960s in a in a perfect kind of way, and I think the Wichita Lyman version is cool, and just the the super imposition of Brazilian rhythms over American pop tunes is just delightful in so many different ways. It really is. I mean, this is this is a wonderful record that I didn't know existed, and uh, happy you put it on there. Happy yeah. you put it on there. Um, and also, I want to stay with you, Brendan, and talk about the the Bad Plus. So, actually, Ed and I um, saw the Bad Plus um, at South um, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, or something like that. And they had a new person on the on the keys there, um, Orrin Evans, a Philadelphia right. native and um, you know superstar icon here in Philly. And um, you know, tell me tell me a little about about the Bad Plus and and this record in terms of um they're kind of being known as like uh cover artists or jazz artists or not jazz artists because when we saw them when i saw my interpreting was interpretation was oh these were some jazz hits um but back then maybe there was, the perception was a little different tell me about that but yeah well i think that they became widely known for their what i like to call deconstruction of of cover songs, but they've been doing this for a long time and they've been writing music for a long time. I actually got into them in high school and listened to their first record and they do a cover version of Aphex Twin's Flim, Aphex Twin, the electronic artist. It is gorgeous. And what it does with, with what you hope for with a cover is you celebrate the composition and the underlying material of the song. And so with that, you have, you're taking a song that's completely out of context from like heavy electronic uh, textures and putting it with organic instruments and you hear how the melodies soar and so they're a band that can do that but then they also have incredible writing chops like so you hearing them at south and Orrin evans bringing the powerhouse that he is to that trio which was such an incredible choice to bring him in now their their compositional forces can be even greater so they don't have to do the covers as much i think that when they do covers, they're they're doing them lovingly and they're doing them incredibly originally too, which which we haven't really talked about is the the originality uh, kudos that should be given to artists that can reinvent a song because they're putting their own stamp on it. Yes, it's somebody else technically wrote it, but when someone does it in a way where it's almost unrecognizable, it kind of becomes theirs. Yeah, yeah. I want, I want that's, that's that's a great question um, to put out to the the group here is. You know, um, in in terms of a cover song, people doing a cover song, a cover album, um, do you want them to um, just stick faithfully to the material, or do you want them to um, kind of see what they find inside of it? Freddie, what do you got, man? Well, all right, I've been waiting all all morning to say this, but 
on a whole, I'm not really a fan of cover <laughs> of co- cover <laughs> albums. Oh man, there have been very few covers that I've ever heard in my life that made me say, "God damn, that's better than the original." Uh, along the Watchtower, maybe one. Uh, How- the Meters version of Wichita Lineman. Yes, the number one version of Wichita Lineman. Number nah, one. No. Um, I, I, I Isaac Hayes say, singing uh, By the Time I Get to Phoenix? Come on. Nah, I'm not a big fan of covers. <laughs> but I will say, I will say, and it's not on this record, but uh, Sergio Mendes' version of Fool on the Hill yeah. might be better than the original. Totally agree. Very rare for me to like covers. I like the Benson album. I kind of came up listening to all the CTI records when I was in high high school. That <laughs> basically was my soundtrack. It was all the Creed Taylor stuff. Creed Taylor stuff. And that album is early CTI. It was produced by Creed Taylor. It was kind of like the beginning of that whole phase. Overall, I'm not really a big fan of covers. Gotcha. Hey, what do you got, man? All, all, all records are cover records. All yeah, art, all art is covering somebody else's art. You know, have influences. Steal but, like an artist, baby. You know, and so yeah. if you're going to make a cover record, make it to own it. Make make it to bring your own, put your own, you know, uh, shape Stamp. on it. Put your own personality on it, or to do something completely different. One we haven't talked about, which is this record by uh, a band called uh, Sometime uh, Other. Uh, Forget the the name is. I think sometimes other people do the killing, uh, and this is they they covered uh, kind of blue note for note. They transcribed the record and recorded kind of blue note for note and released Why? it as blue. And uh, you you'll be hard pressed to listen to it and say what's the difference? Well, there is no difference except it's not the original, and it's it's it gets to the heart of this. Why cover something? Why re-record something? Why reinterpret something? Um, and uh, this is a band that ne- never sold more than a couple thousand records, and and then they sold ten thousand records. <laughs> like gotcha. But it is amazing, note for note, every solo note from Kind of Blue reproduced uh, without much soul, because it's just a copy. Yeah. Adam, what do you got, man? I know, I'm just going to peel the metaphysical layers back here a little more. So if uh, if someone has an 11 person songwriting team writing a song, <laughs> is that is that an original song? <laughs> is that an original? <laughs> and, and also, I, it yeah. depends on how good it is. <laughs> but um, and also if you think about like early, I mean, two of my three choices were were country cover albums, and like the entire country music scene from its inception is cover, based on covers that's a it's a and and really early rock i mean i mean early rock and roll was kind of kind of covery a little bit too like really really early and then and then the you know the original three chords and the truth and and the one little cover i wanted to throw in there it's it's funny um house of the rising sun is 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 a cover and 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 it's like the original just doesn't like remotely even closely sound like it like that's the like maybe the greatest reimagining of a cover i've ever cover of a cover of a cover actually of a of a traditional, yeah. <laughs> oh, seriously, yeah. Dylan covered. Uh, was it Ramblin' Jack Elliott's version, and then the Animals covered his version. 
Well, 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 well. The animals were inspired by, I believe, Nina Simone's version. Bob Dylan, dude. Oh my God, we uh, we all have internet in front of us. Did record it for later. <laughs> Look it up. I don't know. Well, I just I just feel I just want to throw Nina Simone's name in there anyway. I don't even know if it's true or not. <laughs> but, uh, we haven't talked about classical music. What about Leonard uh, Bernstein? All he did was covers. <laughs> that's true. No, that's not true. I mean, he wrote West Side Story. Well, well, yeah. I mean, the classical world. That's right. Basically, all about covers, isn't I think it? I'll cover yeah. Opus Number Forty One. Yeah. Wait, I have, I have, I have it right here. Let's see. House of the Rising Sun is an American folk song thought to be written by Georgia Turner and Bert Martin. This song tells of hard times in New Orleans. The most well-known version is recorded by Eric Burden and the Animals. I just remembered it. I saw it because I, I pay attention when, like, what songs become public domain every year. And right, I remember, right. I remember seeing House of the Rising Sun, and then I listened to the version. I'm like, what in the hell is this? And then, <laughs> I just had to bring that well, up. So the audience will disregard that earlier statement. <laughs> All of them? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Last hour. <laughs> um, so we, we we are we are getting down to the end, guys. But I just want to kind of throw it out to the group. We didn't get a chance to talk to, about our about all our honorable mentions, which we have a bunch. Um, and uh, you know, you'll be able to see them actually on our uh, new website, as well as um, you know the show notes for for this um, episode. But I just want to throw it out to the group first um, to see. Um, you know, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or kind of anything else you want to mention? I'll kick it to you, Freddie. First. Real quick, real quick, I just want to correct myself. Dylan's cover was of a Dave Van Ronk version, not Ramblin' Jack Elliott. Uh, and then the animals covered Dylan's version. I stand corrected. Sorry. Sorry, America. And and, and, the, the, and everyone else in the world. <laughs> I know we have an international audience at this Sorry, point. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Uh, anyway, did anybody got any kind of like kind of close? I know Adam. Go ahead, go ahead, man. All right, mine's a real quick one. It's just I've I, you look at the different kinds of albums we have, and there's it seems to be like the, I mean, to to, to really just you know really paint a broad brush. There's kind of the reimag the really cool reimaginings or you know reclaimings or the you know the uh, you know unlikely you know like Jennifer Warren's is just kind of like an un you know just kind of out of nowhere thing that's really cool. And then there's the like the Willie Nelson, the Bowie's, the, the established artists were like, "What the hell were you thinking?" And then after a while, they seem they're they're better down the road. So I just I just thought that was an interesting that you know the uh, you know how you can kind of cl- you know we're always trying to clump things together. That's the two things I see. Nice, nice, um, Brandon. What do you got? I think the motivation behind doing a covers album is kind of everything as ed touched on earlier you've got a lot of different reasons for doing covers i think if you're going to set about celebrating a song in an original way you've got my attention because you're taking the best of both possible worlds where you're taking a composition that's already great but then you're putting your unique spin on it i'm listening then you've got other maybe less authentic reasons for doing it maybe vanity projects the paul mccartney that didn't land so well for me. Or there's a there's a Rod Stewart standards record that I wish I could unhear. You know, yes. <laughs> that was to, to maybe sell some things and maybe do something that was more age appropriate for him. So I think I think as listeners we can hear through the motivation and we can hear what when it's beautiful and original, even if it's the underlying composition already existed. So that's my take. 
Ed, do you you have anything uh, kind of uh, thoughts to kind of uh, share? I think it just reminds us that this music is alive and uh, it can grow, you know, and it can be uh, reinterpreted and brought out for a new new day. I mean, even artists who go back and reinterpret their own music, Dylan's been doing it for his whole life. Every tour, his song sounds different, right? And one of my honorable mentions was Brian Ferry, who's recorded a record called The Jazz Age. And it's all his Roxy music hits, early hits, done like a 1920s jazz orchestra, like Paul Whiteman has taken Roxy music. It's fantastic. I'm going to listen to all the time, but it just makes you think, oh my God, this stuff is alive and grows. It's, it's, uh, It's like this damn virus. It mutates. Yes. Yes, Freddie, man. Go ahead, Uh, man. Yeah, Brendan and I have been talking over the last few months about this television show uh, called Babylon Berlin. Exactly. And Ferry's, he's in it. I mean, he performs, he does the music for the show, and he actually appears. And it is set in the early 20s. It's uh, post-World War I, I believe. Right? Mm. Right. Got to check it out. Yeah, yeah, and it's and he makes that music sound contemporary, but it is music from the twenties. Yeah, right. it's. Cool. I can't wait to hear the cover of this podcast ten years from now. Say <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Yeah, yeah. Somebody yeah, might yeah, make yeah. it fresh. Yeah, yeah. Um, fresh to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you, Ed. Thank you so much, Ed, for joining us You're here very today. Welcome. It's an honor. Um, really Freddie, appreciate I you. you most of all. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate you coming on with us. And, uh, my take on covers are do them, um, it, do them, just, just do all of them. Uh, but if they're bad, uh, I will say they're terrible. And if wow. they're good, I will say they're good. And that's really the uh, the only judgment we all need here. And they're all nice guys and gals. And they're all nice guys. All nice guys. And nice women, I'm sure. And nice days as well. Um, on that note, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to The List, a right fiction podcast. We'll be back again next week with another pod for your ears. And on that note, um, such fun. Take care. Right if you get work. Right fiction.